This morning, I want to um, carry on where you left off uh, last week by thinking about Easter and uh, remembering this, this morning, actually, in particular, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, then made several appearances to his disciples to prove and demonstrate uh, his resurrection. So uh, this week, as we move on from Easter Sunday last week, let's not move on from Easter. Christ continues to appear to make himself known, answering a question, I, I guess a, a question that we are all faced with, a question that may be on the screen. I don't know if the boys have managed to work the, uh, the PowerPoint, but there it is, is it? Oh, well done. And the question, just hidden out of sight there, is where on earth is Jesus? You know, how, how now do we know Christ? If he is alive, how will we encounter him? Where on earth is, is Jesus? We say things like, you know, that we know Jesus and Jesus lives with us. Uh, but what do we mean by this? And particularly, I think sometimes children can find this confusing, can't they? I, I remember hearing a story of a boy who, uh, in the olden days, who was going upstairs to bed, and his mother was taking him up to bed with a candle. It was by candlelight. She didn't have electricity. So they were going up the stairs, and, and it was a stormy night, and halfway up the stairs, uh, the candle blew out in the wind. So they're in the pitch darkness. And the mother realizes that she's left the matches downstairs. So they're halfway up these stairs. It's stormy. Everything's creaking. And uh, the boy's scared in the darkness. And the mother says, don't worry, she says, I'm going to go and get the matches and you stay here. And he starts freaking out even more because he doesn't want to be left on his own. And so she says the sort of thing that maybe some of us have said to our children, don't worry, she said, Jesus will be with you. I'll go and get the matches. Jesus will be with you. To which the boy replies, well, mommy, why can't you stay with me and Jesus can go and get the matches? (laughs) In what sense is Jesus with us? If he can't go and get the matches for us, you know, what does it mean to know Christ um, today? And uh, I want to read a passage from Luke chapter 24, which is the early appearance of Christ to two uh, dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus to think through how is Christ with us and in what sense is he risen uh, from the dead? So this is Luke 24, reading from verse 13. Um, uh, which I think will be on the screen. Here we are. Uh, You can follow it behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, It says this, Now, that same day, meaning the same day as the resurrection, Easter Sunday, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember that. In fact, could you say that with me? Seven miles from Jerusalem. Say that with me. Seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember that for a minute. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, hey guys, <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you discussing? And uh, as, as they walked along, and they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Interesting reflection there, isn't it? He assumes this is a a stranger. Are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? In other words, he's almost saying to you, where have you been for the last three days? Good question, isn't it? Think about it. Theologians have subsequently wondered that ever since. Anyway, what things, Jesus asks, verse 19. And they reply, about Jesus of Nazareth, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And that is, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And then uh, skipping down to verse 25, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, No, stay with us, they said, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost gone. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and they were saying, it is true, the Lord has Well, in this narrative, we have a few things, and I want to just uh, pull them together to lead us into a responsive communion. And the first thing we have is more evidence for the historic resurrection of Jesus. I I understand if you're here this morning, half thinking to yourself, you know, maybe maybe you're warmed up enough to think, I'd like it to be true, but is it really true? I mean, is there good reason to believe in the risen Jesus? Is there reason for the risen Christ? Well, there is, and I think in this passage you have yet more of it. Notice with me, firstly, the very fact that there is another physical demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus. I say that because I got you to say seven miles, partly just to remind you, that's quite a long way to walk, isn't it? (laughs) Some of us would struggle to walk seven miles, even for charity, wouldn't we? But here, the risen Jesus is walking in a physical body, on the road to Emmaus. He really is physically resurrected. Not just a hallucination, not just a vision or a spiritual idea, he's physically walking and talking on the road. And you notice that whilst he walks with them, they make the point to him, are you the only person who hasn't heard about everything that's been happening? Now again, this reminds us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a private religious idea, In its day, it was common knowledge. It was public knowledge. Everyone was talking about the things that had happened in Jerusalem. We need to remind ourselves of that, because so often Christianity is asked very politely to be put in a corner as a private thing that you keep to yourself. But the resurrection of Christ from the very beginning was public news for the world. You find that governments are having to address it. You find that doctors are writing about it. Luke was a doctor. You're finding that uh, that civilians and soldiers, that the resurrection is a public event that gathered public attention. You can't put it in a box and say it's a private thing. Christianity from day one has been a public event, spoken about in the pubs and the clubs and the schools and the hospitals, etc., etc. The resurrection was a historic event that shook Jerusalem and got the whole place talking about these events. It is then a 
public event. Later, the Apostle Paul will be on trial, and he'll say to Felix, one of the Roman rulers, he says to Felix, referring to the resurrection, 25 years ago now, referring to the resurrection, he says, these things were not done in a corner. Isn't that an interesting statement? You're a Roman ruler, Felix. You know about these things. These things weren't done in a corner. Rome was talking about this. The government had to, had to have a policy on this. You see, if we were to take Christianity and put it into a university and say, which department does it belong in? So many of us would say, well, Christianity, religious studies, right? Well, not according to this. I don't know, you, where would you put Christianity? I don't know. It'd be somewhere in the departments of history, of politics, and of philosophy, probably. I don't know. It, it, would, it would span across a range of departments because it isn't just a religious private idea, it's a public event. Now, in addition to that, what you find is that the public event has a powerful effect. One of the other evidences for the resurrection is the very fact that what you have in these two disciples. It's a demonstration of what happens if there is no resurrection. What do I mean? I mean this. Where, where are they going? Why are they walking seven miles out of Jerusalem down the road to Emmaus? They're going home, aren't they? They're leaving the place where they believe there is no resurrection, and they're going home to try and pick up the pieces of their lives again, because as far as they're concerned, there is no resurrection, Jesus is as dead and buried as they'd seen, and now we're going to have to find a way to do life without all this Christianity stuff. You notice then that what happens if you take Christ out of Christianity, what happens is everyone goes home. That The whole thing packs up, doesn't it? There's nothing left. But when, he, when Jesus later appears to other disciples, what are they doing? They're fishing. What's that? That was their old job. What are they doing? They're going back to their old ways as if to say, you know, Jesus called us out of fishing, if you remember, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's dead, so now all we've got to go back to is fishing. Everyone's going home. Everyone's going back to their old jobs. Everyone is getting on with life as if he's not alive anymore. And here's my point then. If you switch off the magnet, all of the iron filings fall away. If you, switch, if, you, if you turn the heart off, the body dies. But 2,000 years on, here in St. Albans, there is a great gathering of people celebrating Jesus Christ. How has this happened? You see, in one sense, this is one of the most powerful demonstrations that Christ is alive, because if he is not alive, everyone goes home from day one. But 2,000 years later... Two billion people around the world today will celebrate the life and resurrected presence of Jesus Christ. It is an absolutely extraordinary phenomenon. And it's a phenomenon unparalleled in any other approach, any other philosophy or religion, because it is centered upon the historic demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, at his time, at the time of Christ, there would have been others who we know of approximately 12 other Messiah claims within the 50-year period around the life of Christ. The 12 others came and went, and we've heard of none of them. Why? Because they died on a Roman cross. In other words, what happened to Messiahs under Rome is if you were a Messiah, if you were claiming to be the, the king of the Jews, Rome would put you to death. And what happens to their followers? 
They dispersed. Now, now the point is, if that was, if Jesus was just the thirteenth, if he was just another one who died at the hands of the Romans, there would be no followers today, just as there are for the others, or aren't for the others. The resurrection then is demonstrated, not least, by the powerful effect down through history. The Romans put Jesus to death on the cross. By, a th- by 300 AD, the Roman emperor had become a Christian. How does that happen? Unless Jesus is alive. This passage then is a demonstration of what happens if there's no resurrection. They are heading home, and they're going back to their old lives. And it's a demonstration of what happens if there is a resurrection. You notice at the end of the story, they're going back to Jerusalem. Suddenly they've been turned around from saying it's over to saying it's back on again. And it's back on again in a game-changing way. They're going, very back, they're going back to the very place they were leaving, now absolutely convinced he's risen. And they will pay with their lives for the claim he's risen. He walked with us. He talked with us. He's physically back. Jesus Christ is alive today. And the very fact that you're here is another role of evidence for the claim. But in addition to the evidence, what is the deal there? What is it that we are claiming in the resurrection Jesus has achieved. And uh, it's not, as I've said, that we're claiming hallucination. This isn't just something that disciples thought they saw because they wished to see it. It's not hallucination, and it's not resuscitation either. I mean, you hear many stories, don't you? Uh, You may know of people who have, if you like, clinically died, had some kind of, maybe even some kind of experience, but then they've been brought back again. Uh, Whilst those are amazing and potentially fascinating stories, that's not what the resurrection is. The resurrection is not resuscitation. Not at all. And how would we describe the resurrection? I think we would best describe it in these ways. It is as if the caterpillar has become the butterfly. This is actually one of the words that Paul uses for resurrection. It is metamorphosis. See, you notice in the reading that on the one hand, the, the disciples... On the one hand, Jesus is almost too familiar to them. He walks along the road as another person. So on the one hand, he is a physical human being. But on the other hand, something has so dramatically changed now that they don't even recognize him. Here then is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the physical appearance of Christ. And the best understanding of it is that this is new creation. But it's new creation where, the, where Christ has taken our humanity and he's broken all of the barriers that we face. He's gone through, and this is humanity on the other side. This is humanity that has broken through the barrier of sin and temptation, never to be tempted again. This is humanity that's broken through the barrier of death, never to die again. Amen? Christ, then, is on the other side as he appears to them. He has been metamorphosed. And therefore, he's appearing to caterpillars, but he has become the butterfly. <laughs> he went into his cocoon, if you like, the tomb of death, but he emerged from it in glorious new life. What we will clearly understand, particularly from the Gospel of John, to be new creation. This is God in Christ, then, starting this world all over again, bringing a new start to the creation that has fallen away by bringing new life through Jesus Christ. So often in this life, in this body, in this existence that we have, we are caterpillars. We have fallen. We are under the power of sin and death. 
And so often in this life, we succumb to the powers of sin, we experience the horror of death, and as we do so, we feel like we are reduced from what we were meant to be. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, so-and-so, you know, people say very rudely, so-and-so, so-and-so, they're such a low life. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's quite a good phrase in a way, isn't it? We're all low lives, aren't we? <laughs> Our lives are lower. We are, we, are, we are low lives. We have been brought down to a level of existence that is fallen from what God intended humanity to be. But in the resurrection of Christ, we're seeing the recovery, the restoration, the redemption of everything that this world was built for. God's plan for the world is back on track in the risen body of Jesus Christ. Humanity is broken through sin, broken through death, and now will reign with him in Christ. That's the hope of the resurrection. Here is the butterfly. He rises to a new existence, showing us what our future can be if we put our faith in him. This, uh, this last week, on Monday, um, so, so less than a week ago, on Monday I went to see my auntie Olive, who was very, very ill, and she died on Friday. That quickly, it's extraordinary. She had a really good conversation on Monday, she's dead today. And uh, as I go to the funeral this coming week, you know, it's, it's where we square up, isn't it, in those moments to the reality of the enemy that we face in this fallen life. Whatever, whatever lives we live, we, we face the enemy of sin, we face the enemy of suffering and evil, and we face the enemy of death. But now, through the resurrection of Jesus, we face that enemy knowing our Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ has brought us victory. We face the enemy knowing there is victory. I spoke and prayed with my auntie Olive, and she uh, was, in the words that she spoke, she, she, she spoke scripture and to- told me of, of her faith and that she was looking forward to being with Christ. She was speaking out the victory of Jesus. Because in life and in death, Christ Jesus has risen and conquered. Where, O death, is your victory? These are the words we'll say at a funeral. These are the words that we speak at every Christian funeral. Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O grave, is your sin, uh, is, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Now, as a result, we live not in the absence of death, we still face it, but in the presence of victory in the presence of Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, if if we have in Christ an answer and a hope in the face of death, what else can you throw at a person? The most ultimate challenge of life has been conquered through Christ. This brings a hope that we live with. It's a great thing to get sorted, isn't it? (laughs) If you haven't yet sorted out eternal life, you could do that today. Wouldn't it be great to go into this coming week? You know, maybe you haven't paid your gas bill. Maybe you've got your tax to do, but I've sorted out eternity. <laughs> I, got a, I got a few things done this weekend. <laughs> I forgot to cut the grass, and I still need to pay the, the, the bills, but I did get eternal life sorted <laughs> through faith in Jesus Christ. His victory, then, is for us. And one day, the, the butterfly existence that he has now historically shown us is, is ours in him. One day, that will be ours in Christ. One day, we will reign with him. We will be on the other side. Currently, by faith, we know him from this side. But one day soon, we will be on the other side. We will be beyond sin. We will be beyond death. We will know Christ for eternity. 
That's the hope that we have. I love, um, you may have read a bit of C.S. Lewis, and I love one of C.S. Lewis's writings where he's trying to help us see that because of the very physical and glorious resurrection of Jesus, that life to come in Christ is more physical and more real than this life. So often we think of the future life, we think of it in sort of ghost and shadowy images as if we're more real. And that's unreal. And C.S. Lewis is wanting us to see, no, through the resurrection of Jesus, what is coming is more physical and more real and more concrete than anything that we are. And so he has this picture in The Great Divorce of someone from our realm, a caterpillar if you like, going and being shown the, the, the physical glorious life to come for those in Christ. And the wonderful scene that I particularly like is where this person, who is themselves, therefore, a, a, a depicted as a ghost. So one of us in the life to come is, is almost ghostly. That We're the ones who are half dead. <laughs> and as this ghostly figure from our realm enters into the realm to come, they see coming towards them a lady, and she is shimmering and shining in glory. She seems almost angelic, and yet she's human. And this person from our realm begins to fall on the floor before this glory, and, uh, and falls on the floor and says, says to the angel that's showing him around, is this the one? You know, almost saying this, this must be some kind of God-like being or whatever. Is this the one? And uh, the angel uh, brilliantly replies, oh, no, 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 this isn't the one. This, uh, he says, that's Sarah Smith from Golders Green. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, this isn't the one. That's just Dave. <laughs> you know, that's Tony. That's that's Jane. In other words, if you could see what we will be like in glory, you would be utterly overwhelmed by what is in store for those who have put their faith in Christ. We will one day reign with Him. We will be raised and resurrected like Him. We will know His glory, for He will share it with us for eternity. The resurrection then has secured us hope. And that leads to the third question, what difference does this make now? And we see it literally in the faces of these disciples. Notice that when Jesus meets them, it says this, they stood still, their faces downcast. Remember, these are two people currently, at this point in the narrative, who don't believe there is hope of resurrection. And this is what they look like. You see, if you take out of life in this world, if you take Christ out of it, if you take his victory out of it, what are we left with? What are we left with? As Bertrand Russell, the famous atheistic philosopher once said, when I die, I rot. That's it. You know, We've come from nothing, we're here for nothing, and we're going to nothing. It, you reduce life to little more than nothing when you take out of it eternal hope through Christ. And here we have the faces of those who are coming to terms with the idea that he didn't rise again, that there isn't ultimately hope. And I don't know if there are some sad faces in this room today, but I wouldn't be surprised that there are, because some of what life throws at us can leave us feeling disappointed, can't it? Feeling like our hopes have been crushed. Feeling like we, we put our eggs in one basket and the bottom fell out of it. You know, this is how they feel on Easter uh, Sunday. I wonder whether that's true for some of us in the room as well. Maybe because we've tried to fill an aching void in our lives with other things. We've put our hopes in the material things this world can offer. we thought to ourselves, if I could acquire a new car, or a new house, or a new relationship, or a new job, in those things I've put my hope 
and hoped that I might have them. And you know, there's two ways in which they can be disappointing, either because we never got what we hoped for, or because we got it and realized it wasn't all that we hoped for. (laughs) Isn't that the more crushing disappointment, that you actually did get the car, but now you need something else? (laughs) You did get the relationship, you did get the house, you did get the job, but you've realized, as you too were saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We live in a world that sings with passion that U2 song because it's so true for our world. We still haven't found what we're looking for. Our faces are sad without Christ. And uh, you notice it says that they stood still. It's almost as if it brought them to a point where they were struggling to go on with life as it was as it faced them. You know, again, maybe this is your reality. I I think sometimes we hide it very well, but some of us may struggle even to get out of bed in the morning and face the day. We we, We don't live with hope. We live with a sense of disappointment, a heavy heart. Listen, this morning, if that's you, I want to just encourage you this morning. There is hope through Jesus Christ. If you will meet the one who has beaten your enemies and brings new life to your soul, you will find in him what you are looking for. And notice that the end of the story then are two characters very, very much turned around. Do you see this? They go back by the end of the story. They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. The very place that they were leaving, the very place that they were coming out of with a heavy, disappointed heart, now they're going back to that place with joy in their spirits. And the only difference is Christ is risen. The resurrection of Jesus, the presence of Jesus turns these two figures around. It brings hope. It brings joy. I wonder if you've got a sad face this morning. I mean, I I appreciate you may have the ability to wear a mask (laughs) and pretend you're okay, but within your heart, is there a sadness there, a disappointment, a heaviness? I want to encourage you this morning, there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is more to life than this. There's more than the car. There's more than the house. There's more than the job. There's more than the things that haven't satisfied. There is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apparently, um, in, uh, in Lisbon, which until 1492 in Christopher Columbus, people believed was pretty much the end of the world. Remember, the earth is flat at this stage. And people thought that after Lisbon, the end of, at the end of Portugal, you effectively will, some point after that, you'll drop off the end. Apparently at Lisbon, in, in the harbour there, there was a sign over the entrance to the harbour, Ne Plu Ultra, which is Latin just meaning, there is nothing more. <laughs> you know, beyond here, nothing. And then on one particular occasion, uh, uh, Christopher Columbus set sail, and to cut that long story short, he discovered the Americas, only to realise he wasn't the first to discover it, that's another story again, isn't it? But leaving aside the, his- the history, he discovered the Americas and brought back to Lisbon, the riches and the spoils of a country beyond. And apparently they simply crossed out the nay on that sign, and it just read, Plu Ultra, there is more. (laughs) Because one man had proven in his voyage and brought back the evidence that there is more. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the evidence that there is more. That there is hope beyond the grave, and there is life before the grave. In Christ, there is more. And as we receive Jesus, what we're receiving is the more, the fullness of life that God has for us. We're receiving his forgiveness, and we're receiving his cleansing, 
and we are being made new creations. I said earlier, didn't I, that the resurrection is best understood as new creation. But when someone believes in the risen Jesus, what do they then become? New creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old has gone. Behold, new life has come. Notice in John's Gospel, have you seen this? Notice in John's Gospel, when did the resurrection happen? John chapter 20, on the first day of the week. (laughs) That reminds you of anything? While it was still dark, in a garden, a man appears to a woman. Where are we? (laughs) We're back in Genesis. We're back at the beginning. This is a new beginning for the world. John wants us to see that the resurrection of Jesus brings us back to Genesis. It brings us back to the start and says, God started this world over, and you can start over in Christ. You can be a new creation through him who died to the old creation and rose again to bring us new life. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. This morning, there's no more important question then. Are you in Christ? Have you discovered new creation, new life, a new start through faith in him? Well, if you're asking that question, I want to just finish with my last point and to lead us into communion, which is this. How can we then know the risen Jesus? How do we meet Jesus today? And uh, I want you to notice the irony here um, in this passage. Notice the irony is this, that whilst he is with them physically, they do not know him. They don't recognize him. See, so often we would think, wouldn't we, if we could just have Jesus physically with us, then we would believe. But notice that it wasn't through the physical appearance of Jesus that they came to faith, but it was through two other means. Have you seen that? Firstly, the Holy Scriptures. Did you notice this? That Jesus, the risen Christ, effectively takes them on a Bible study, beginning with Moses and working through all of the prophets. He showed them in the Scriptures all that was true concerning himself. And after that Bible study, they said this, were not our hearts burning within us as he showed us the Scriptures on the road? You see, the Bible will give you Christ. As you open the pages of Scripture, as as we are doing that this morning, we begin to feel the presence of Jesus with us in the presence of the words, don't we? We begin to sense his presence as we hear the truth of Scripture being preached and read and explained. Christ makes himself known through the Word, and the Scriptures begin to warm our hearts, begin to give us a new joy and an experience of Jesus. We meet Christ in the pages of Scripture. We're embraced. I know that picture on the screen is almost a bit strange, isn't it? But we are embraced by the pages of Scripture as we come to know Christ brought to us through them. And our hearts are strangely warmed. You see, whatever else the Christian faith is, it is an experience. It must, in the end, come down to some kind of genuine experience of receiving the love of God and warming our cold hearts. And I'll tell you this, The world can't give you that, and religion can't give you that. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I say that, and as I say that, I have in my mind the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. And you may know his story, but John Wesley was an ordained priest in the Church of England. He was, in that sense then, a thoroughly religious man. He'd already begun the lifestyle that would get him the nickname Methodist, methodical. That's where that comes from. He was living a very disciplined, religious life. And uh, on one occasion, he was uh, on, a, on a ship coming back from Georgia, and he'd been to Georgia in order to 
um, converts the Indians. And he writes in his journal on the way home a very moving phrase. He says this, I went to India, I went to Georgia to convert the Indians, but who will convert me? It's a question, isn't it? There's a man who's he's got a religious heritage, but he's not yet saved. He hasn't yet come to know the warming presence of Jesus. And as he returns to London, he goes to a meeting near the Barbican. And if you get a chance, if you're in London sometime, there's a fantastic plaque to this moment um, in Aldersgate Street near the Barbican complex where um, John Wesley is sitting and someone is reading from Scripture. Here's my point. How do we meet Jesus? Someone's reading from Romans and explaining it through one of Martin Luther's commentaries. And John Wesley says this, at about quarter to nine, whilst I was at the meeting in Aldersgate Street, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had died for my sins, even for mine. It's a wonderful moment in church history, and it leads to, ultimately, the whole movement that is now the Methodist Church, and it all stems from one man who had become very religious and had yet not met, met Jesus. And in that moment, as the scriptures are open, suddenly his heart is strangely warmed. And he's beginning to believe for himself. He died for me, even for my sins. I wonder this morning if some of us are feeling our hearts strangely warmed. As you hear about the risen Jesus, as you hear about the hope that he's brought to this world, the new creation, the new start that he offers, is your heart strangely warmed? I hope it is. To the life of Jesus and the invitation to follow him. How do we respond? Well, you notice, as well as the Holy Scriptures, they are finally brought to a revelation through the Holy Sacrament, through the breaking of bread. Jesus takes the symbol of his own body that he'd given before his death, and just as his body was broken on the cross, he breaks it, and he takes that and he says, this is my body. That's what he did before he dies. And here, as he breaks the bread with the disciples, suddenly their eyes are opened to who he is, to what he's done, and to how through eating that bread they can receive his new life. And so we come to communion. We come to an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning to receive what Christ has done. Christ is risen. Christ is present with us right now. And I do believe, as I've been speaking, some of us have had our hearts being affected. It's not just that our minds may be interested, but that our hearts have been affected. You felt a fresh hope that hasn't been in your heart. A new opportunity awaits you today through the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to invite, invite you to take it with both hands and put your faith in Jesus Christ. For some of us, it may be that we've been Christians for a while, but actually we've drifted away and we've been putting our hopes in other things. See, the resurrection of Jesus ultimately is about hope. But it's a hope that's found exclusively in him. Some of us may be Christians, but we've been hoping that we will find what we're looking for, not through Christ, but investing ourselves in many other priorities. And this morning is a great opportunity to come back to Jesus through taking communion and say, Lord Jesus, all my hope is in you. All my life is in you. Everything that I desire is found in you. So we take communion to come to Christ, the risen Lord, who walked with these two on the road and now stands among us this morning, inviting us to receive his grace. Would you like to stand with me? And uh, I'll lead us in prayer.
The band are going to take their place and Ant's going to lead us in some songs. So we're going to do communion maybe a little bit differently this morning to normal. Um, I'm going to pray in just a moment and then we're going to sing. And as soon as we begin to sing, when you're ready, uh, you may want to just worship for a little bit or you may be ready straight away, but as soon as you're ready, just make your way to one of the tables uh, to the side and uh, take the bread and drink the cup at the table as a sign of receiving the work of Christ. If you're not yet ready to put your faith in Jesus, please don't feel pressure. You can just stay put, stay where you are, sing the songs and have a, have a think about where you're at. But I just felt as I was praying this morning, um, I just felt like there may be one or two amongst us who are saying this morning, actually, whilst I've not really come to a place of clear faith in Jesus, this morning, I'm ready. I want to invite you to come. Don't hold back from taking the bread and the cup. Come and take it as a demonstration of receiving Jesus. Physically saying, Lord, as I eat this bread, as I take this cup, I pray you forgive me for my sin. I pray that you come into my life and make me new creation. I give my life to you. This is your opportunity to do that today. I'd love it if you would respond. And if you would like prayer, um, having taken communion, whether you're a Christian who just wants prayer for healing or for a challenge you're facing, whether you're putting your faith in Christ this morning and you want to let someone know that you've done that, um, let's respond, let's receive, and let's worship together.